Hey, what is up, grappling fans? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcaster, Rafa Sparza, coming to you live right now. It's 3.16. Look at that stone cold time right on the dot. We are stoked for our guest today, but before we get to him, let's say a few words about our sponsors. Uh, number one, give some love to our friend over at dodgycollective.com. They do great drawings. They do amazing apparel. Give them some love. And also, give some love to our friends over at Noki BJJ Gear. Check this out. Wabam. Nogi, BJJ gear, buy yourself some nice shorts like this. I get to train in them quite frequently. I'm very excited to get to train a little bit later this week, so I'm very happy about that. Use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15. Take 15% off of whatever you put in the cart. All right. Our guest today. Not only is he training out of Las Vegas, uh, this man has put together an impressive resume that stems all the way back to his amateur days with a flawless win-victory record on his record i mean look at it it's the kind of thing that you kill for even when you're playing video games you'd like to have a record like this he has been impressive right out the gate he just recently won over at lfa i put 87 on the description i think it was actually lfa 88 so if i made that mistake that's on me ladies and gentlemen let's get to know better our good friend nathan levy nathan how are you doing man i'm great how are you it is Great. I'm doing fantastic. Man, tell me a little bit about training over at Syndicate in Vegas. It has been one of the few places I have yet to go, though I do know two special people who lead the jiu-jitsu program there. Yeah, Syndicate is an awesome gym. Uh, I joined it seven years ago. It was uh, so good that I had to come back. You know, I was going back and forth from Israel to Vegas for four years. Uh, we just work, save some money, fly back to Vegas train for a few months and, and repeat. Um, I think the biggest thing is like the learning experience. It's not just about training. Training is great, pushing each other is great, but really learning. I like to go somewhere. My first love is not fighting. It's not being an athlete, it's being a martial artist and always learning. And if I'm going into a room and we're just training, yeah, that's great. That's a lot of fun. That makes you better, but the learning is really the most important thing for me. I want to finish the week and know I have new tools. And that's like, for me, the biggest thing at Syndicate, we're always learning. Even if we're going to go live, we're going to do a few techniques first, get a few details in, whether it be in the jiu-jitsu program or the MMA program. So tell me a little bit about commuting because most people just go down the street or they've got to drive 30 minutes to a place. The fact that you were going back and forth between Israel and Las Vegas speaks well of your love for that gym. Did you ever have people say to you, hey, listen, you don't have to do that? Listen, if I would have uh, listened to everybody who had something to say, I'd be in a dump somewhere. Um, you know, people told me, hey, you have nothing to do in Vegas and in MMA until you get a brown belt in Israel in Jiu-Jitsu. Almost believed it. I'm so thankful I didn't. I'd still be in Israel waiting for that brown belt. Um, you know, I'm almost a 29-year-old. I'd still have no fights. So what people say, it's good to listen maybe, but uh, use your judgment. And uh, people will never... People who have bad things to say usually won't do shit themselves. They just want to you know, criticize and tell you what you can't do. And I don't listen to that. Uh, for me, when I was, before I started jujitsu, before I started MMA, I was doing karate. And I wanted to be the best at it. Uh, I devoted all my time to it. And that meant for me, flying to Japan. First time I flew was I was 16 years old. I told my mom, uh, hey mom, listen, I'm going to fly to Okinawa for a month to train uh, with my teacher. We're going to fly to some master in Japan. Uh, and she was like, yeah, sure, honey. No problem. <laughs> Little did she know a couple of weeks after I show up with like a plane ticket. I'm like, all right, now I'm going. And she thought like it was just some daydream, but she couldn't tell me no anymore. So I flew, uh, got my black belt in Japan uh, when I flew there the second time when I was 18. And uh, same thing with MMA and jiu-jitsu. You know, the moment I w knew I wanted to do it, I knew I wanted to be the best at it. I just, I got a plane ticket and uh, flew to Vegas. I didn't know anybody. I had zero ground. All I had was a sideways karate stance and uh, some spinning kicks, but I was missing most of the 
the tools. But uh, again, I didn't listen to people who told me you should start boxing in Israel, you should start jujitsu in Israel. Yeah, they weren't wrong, but they weren't right either. You know, I would rather go and start and learn the fundamentals from somebody who was a world champion uh, multiple times and was a fighter, then learn the basics from somebody who's lower level and then fly to Vegas. For me, that's kind of backwards. I want to learn it from the best from the beginning, you know? Okay. First of all, glad you did it too, because uh, you've obviously put together a very nice uh, resume thus far in. I would like to say though, I like that you said I came here nothing but a few good karate kicks and whatnot. Dude, those karate kicks photograph well. I wish I had something in jiu-jitsu that photographed as well as half of those things. People be like, Raf, uh, we're going to take a photo of you in jiu-jitsu. I'd be like, I guess get a photo of me pulling guard. <laughs> that looks cool, right? Um, but hey, man, they look awesome. We'll get to that a little bit later. I am curious, since you went a little bit origin story, I want to hear what got you into martial arts? Obviously, you have a passion for it, but where does that passion begin? Um, I think I was always kind of like a fighter. Like uh, I came, I came to Israel from uh, France. I was born in Paris, and uh, some kids, you know, would laugh about my accent, and I would literally bite them in the neck. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> So hold on. Had you had seen anything Mike Tyson had done at this part, or was this just an instinct that you no, had? No, I just pure instinct. <laughs> it attacked the most vital point. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't care if it was like 10, 10 graders and I was first grader. If somebody thought anything bad, I would just jump them and I'd get my ass kicked, but I would still do it. And uh, I was very wild. And I always wanted to do martial arts. I loved uh, the Rocky movies, Bruce Lee movies, Van Damme, um, all, all these guys. But I really, I was like, I think I was too wild for it. I was, I would get impatient very easily. I would get bored. I would want to switch uh, the martial art type, the class, like every few weeks. So I did some for some periods, but I always quit, stopped, and. Uh, until I was uh, 15 is when I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to change, uh, like change myself, become the person I want to be. And uh, when I joined the high school, um, I was doing like a little bit of, um, kind of like an MMA type thing. It was called the combined martial arts. Mm. So it was judo, some kickboxing, no, not really Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but they were doing ground and stand-up mix um, with a Gion, usually. And I, I met some uh, new kids, you know, coming to high school from different schools. And we started talking, oh, you do martial arts, I do martial arts, let's spar a little bit. And I got my ass kicked. And they were doing the Kung Fu and Karate. So I was like, okay, I'm coming to train with you guys. So I actually went from an MMA style and I was watching Pride, I was watching UFC to like really believing in that karate style. And, um, and that was, you know, maybe not the best judgment just because I got my ass beat by some other kids. But for me, it was like, oh, okay, I, find, I found out the truth. But I think it was the best thing for me because that uh, MMA style wasn't really competitive. It wasn't really... Uh, hardcore and the karate I did was very hardcore, very hard training. We would kick each other's asses all the time. Uh, we'd go bare knuckle. Um, we could kick the groin, like just go do whatever you want. So it was pretty extreme. But uh, for me, it was what I wanted. It was really what made me change and grow up uh, and really become a martial artist. Well, I mean, somebody hits you a few times in the groin, you'll probably not grow up as fast as you'd like to. Uh, but I mean, hey, at least you're getting indoctrinated to the most extreme versions so that you'll already be there. What does it feel like bare knuckle boxing? Because I see, I see so many people talk about that as a new thing. And they say in some ways it's actually safer. And I've been like, I don't know that that's true. But did you like that as, when you were growing up? Did you have an appreciation for that version of fighting? <laughs> 
Um, I think to call it boxing would be a little bit of a over compliment. It was, <laughs> it was karate people throwing hands. <laughs> it was not boxing, uh, but we would tap each other in the face. I actually lost my two front teeth and, um, you know, just from a strike and they both went in and I had to straighten them out. And uh, eventually like I had to put crowns there. So I really wouldn't recommend it. I really think it's stupid. But again, it's part of what made me, part of what made me grow up. A lot of the things we did that I was doing growing up in the Kung Fu mostly, but also in the karate, a lot of it was stupid. Like I gotta say, you know, I'm, I'm very real about it. But at the same time, it was super stupid, but it was hard to do and it made me tougher. Like if it was like breaking stuff, like, uh, you know, bricks, and me and my friend would throw the brick and the teacher was like, if you don't break that brick, I'm gonna put your black belt on the brick and send you home, you know? So we had to keep going and my friend broke his hand on the brick and I eventually broke it. And like, I think that's very stupid. Like why did my friend have to break his hand just to prove a point that's kinda, but at the same time, we were dying of pain and we kept doing it. So it kind of built us, made us stronger in, in a sort of way. Understandable. And I mean, obviously you, you build an appreciation for the sport rather than just breaking random shit around the house, which yeah. you know, at a certain point you're like, yeah, this brick looks just fine by itself. I don't know that I need to break this. How about exactly. I just find somebody else? That'd be a little bit more fun, right? Exactly. Um, where does grappling then enter your whole system? Because you said that you were doing a little bit of like a combined version of martial arts that incorporated judo. So where did you find yourself getting into the grappling side of things? So my dad's a black belt in judo, he's a second degree black belt. So we would always play around and he chose me some submission, but I can't really say anything formal like I knew how to grapple, I did not. Um, my, my real like formal encounter with grappling was when I came to Vegas and I knew a little bit just from like watching UFC and you're like, oh, that's a guard, that's defensive, uh, arm bar, don't let your hands stay straight like this, keep your elbow tight, but really basic things. And uh, when I met my striking coach here and started doing one-on-one, he actually brought me to syndicate. He told me I needed like the sparring partners. I needed to start uh, jujitsu, and I would just do uh, jujitsu twice a day with uh, Fred and Paishao. Uh, no matter what I did, whether it be MMA, boxing, um, whatever I did, conditioning, I would still do two more a day, morning and night, jujitsu. Mm. And that's what I did for the first uh, few times I was here in Vegas until I caught up. Until I. I can't say I caught up because I never, I can never catch up. But uh, until I felt comfortable and that I should put more time into other things. So let's talk about this for a split second because I'm, I'm very curious. You know, obviously we'll come back to grappling because grappling hour. This is what we talk about. But when you were growing up, was there a moment that you were able to bypass some of that early on stage bullying that you were experiencing because? I don't know if people figure this out about you. Yeah, I know they might be trying to make fun of your accent, but like the goat of our sport has one of the most intense French Canadian accents ever recorded in history. That has to be at least somewhat empowering to hear as a kid though. Um, yeah, you know, I think um, it, I wouldn't call it bullying really because at the end of the day after they would open their mouth like they would pay for it <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i really after the second time i went to japan and i got uh, my black belt and all that that's when i kind of restarted watching mma because before that i was watching like the old prides the Krokop versus fedor that was kind of like my era but then i started doing karate and kung fu and i was like ah this mma shit it doesn't really work outside the ring in a street fight, you gotta be dirty. You gotta work with this and that. But um, when I came back from the second time in Japan, I 
just my friends started showing me fights, and that was when Lioto was champion, uh, Brock was champion, BJ Penn, um, yeah, GSP. So for me, I was already kind of formed, and uh, I didn't really see GSP as a karate guy, but more like Lioto. Lioto was the one that made me think like, oh, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could get into MMA, learn the ground, and and start fighting. So I think that was the seed. That's pretty dope. And that's when you start realizing you want to go into fighting a little bit. I want to back up again one more time, which is just to ask, how much pressure is there to get into the realm of mixed martial arts when you do have a dad who is a black belt? Because I never experienced that. My whole family is frankly surprised I ended up doing uh, jiu-jitsu. Because they're like, where did that come from? That, that has no connection to any of us. And I just said, I just love the science of it. I love mm-hmm. the applications and learning every single day. But in your family, from birth, it was there. Yes, but, you know, I never really, I don't think my father ever pushed me to it. Um, I think, you know, maybe like the movies we were watching, stuff like that. I think it's a good message anyway, like uh, go against the odds, underdog stories, you know, uh, rise to the challenge. Whether you're doing martial arts or not, I think it's it's good stuff. And he uh, never really pushed me into it. It was more like me, like, oh, dad, show me how to do this. Or every time we'd go to a pool or like some grass, I'd be like, let's wrestle. And uh, I just like to fight, so I just, uh, if if we could play and like fight at the same time, that was great. That's pretty dope. And I mean, there's something to be said about it being innate, like it being part of your personality that it's just in you. You're going to find a way to fight. You're going to find a way to make that kind of uh, uh, physical expression part of your, your growing up. When did you know for sure, though, that you wanted to fight? Because the, if the whole thing of watching those pride fights was giving you the idea of, uh, okay, I can see it with Leoto, or I see it for these people. There's a big difference between I have an interest in fighting and I want to make this my career. Uh, yeah, for the longest time, you know, uh, competing was kind of a taboo in my style of uh, karate. And it was, frankly, a lot of like, um, I, I think it's BS, like, oh, if you're going to fight somebody, and you're gonna beat him, that means you were stronger stronger than him to begin with. So mm. where's the pride in beating somebody that's weaker than you? That's a very weak argument, I believe. <laughs> um, I think the point is beating somebody that's stronger than you through pe- preparation, part, pushing through the challenge, to people who are willing to step in and fight. And uh, for me, fighting is like the highest level of training, really. It's, it's training and um, the hardest training there is, but it's a way to show your weaknesses, to get better, um, to push yourself. So uh, I wanted to compete and I knew karate wasn't really an option. I didn't want to, to fight with like no face punches or like point fighting and all those styles. Like I always felt something was missing because when you're fighting really, everything always wants to go into MMA. Like if there's a karate fight, somebody will fall and they want to keep punching him. No, stop. In other words, this is not MMA. Go back to doing only that part of fighting. Same when you're grappling, you're above somebody and he's grabbing your leg and you're like, I just want to suck him one and like, and pass his guard. And you're like, oh, you can't, this is not that part of fighting. (laughs) So I, I see the point in like training everything separately to make it better, just like you would train only guard passes so you train only grappling and only ground and pound only fighting on the feet but at the end of the day fighting should be mma i really it's hard for me to understand why they're like any other sorts of uh combat sports they all have their place they're all great it's not easy to become uh, so proficient with your punches that you can defeat a boxer but I think everything is going into MMA, and uh, what really, la- what really like made me take the decision. I was always telling myself like, MMA is very cool, but I'm a karate guy, 
MMA is awesome, but uh, it's not for me. And then one day they wanted to do like a, a tough replica in Israel. There was like my uh, my teacher sent a group text like they're doing a reality show. Some guys are going to live together in the same house and train together and then fight each other for like uh, some sort of prize. Anybody wants in? And I was like, yeah, me. And um, it never happened. The show like it never happened. But I was already training for it, running. Uh, you know, I started putting like MMA gloves and just uh, with my teammates that we knew nothing on the ground. We would try and grapple, try and like mix it up. And the moment I knew the show was off, I was like, okay, I'm saving. I'm buying a, fl a flight ticket to a few months from now. I'm saving money in that time and I'm flying. That's what I did. That's pretty dope to hear, man, because I just... I always wonder when you start talking about like, oh yeah, I found martial arts because I was watching Rocky or I saw these Van Damme movies. And I'm thinking, I watched those too, dude. And at no point did I ever think, you know what I should do? Fight. <laughs> like for me, it took so much longer to get to a point where I said, oh yeah, I want to do jujitsu. So I'm just always fascinated how you find that drive and how you get there. And obviously you demonstrate it, not just by your record, but by this commitment to try and go back and forth between Israel and Vegas. And eventually you mentioned seven years ago, you make the trek over. And then very shortly after, within about two years time, it seems that's when you started your AMI career, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted so, to start earlier, but I couldn't find the fights. You couldn't find the fights. Okay. So obviously that, I mean, the good news is it did seem to pay off in some regard because you started very quickly and you hit the ground running. So what do you remember most about like your amateur days and, and what do you think specifically from those days translated uh, to a point where it became very beneficial as a professional athlete? You know, the first thing I can always think is like maybe the craziest moment of my life is like my first amateur fight. And I had like uh, nine fights fall through. And the one I did fight was the 10th fight. So I was like, for a long time, I would also go back and forth. So I would think I'm going to fight, but not end up fighting and go back home. And everybody, you know, I would like to talk. They were like, oh, didn't you say you were going to fight? Like, I'm full of shit. Like, I, you know, and I'm like, oh, that guy pulled out. That guy uh, missed way. And like, yeah, yeah, right. So... I get to the fight and I understand why people crawl to the cage because you're like, your legs feel like they weigh a ton. And I see the light and that door open and I'm like, oh shit, this is really gonna happen. I thought it wasn't. I thought at some point, you know, I thought it was never gonna happen. But I crawl my way into the cage. Um, I feel like it's kind of like a dream. Like I couldn't tell the range. I couldn't tell if it's like punching range, kicking range. Obviously, I'm going to throw some kicks no matter the range. And uh, then all of a sudden, I got a guillotine on him. I don't think I ever got a guillotine beforehand. But I choke him out um, like 50-something seconds into the fight. I just let go of his head. It flops on the ground. He's out. And uh, that was a pretty cool moment. That's something like I take with me more than other fights. Just that moment. Let me get the straight. You hadn't, like, had you ever finished a guillotine before? No. <laughs> okay, bro. Okay, we need to commemorate this because, first of all, that's epic. Second of all, my guillotine's not that great, but I've finished a few. Never in a fight. But I would just tell you that is remarkable that you just kind of developed the guillotine under duress. How did it get set up? Like, how did it, you end up getting the finish? Like I drilled the guillotine a few times, but like I'd never, not that I remember, I never got it in training. I was just like, I'll take a step back. I just, I had him, um, yeah, which arm is here? So I had him in the guillotine and I was like pulling, but at some point I knew like pulling was not enough. So I switched my grip to pushing. Mm -hmm. And then I really put all my back into it. We went on the ground, I kind of blocked his hip with my knee so he can't roll or anything and just squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. 
ref touched me, I let go and he was out. I'm going to ask this because, again, not a fighter. So I don't know how I would react if someone just flopped out. Like, what was the first moment reaction that you had when this dude just kind of like, boof, like hits the ground? I was like, holy shit, I won. <laughs> and dude, what a hell of a way to get your first guillotine because, hey, we always practice for the sake of when you need it. And it goes to show, even though you weren't necessarily getting it during your rolling, mm-hmm. it worked. So compliments yeah. to the way that you were practicing that. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of times people are more like jujitsu elbows tight, everything's tight, you know. When you're fighting, it's not like that. People throw wild hooks, get in on big takedowns, big moves. And uh, sometimes you can get stuff you it's easier than in training. I always Something. like I always liken it to when I'm rolling with a, a wrestler and I have to go into my bag of tricks. And if they're a little bit more advanced and they know how to maybe position their body a little bit more, it's like, oh, this guillotine isn't doing what it's supposed to do. I gotta I gotta switch things up. It's yeah. like I don't know if you've ever seen like Jurassic Park, but when the velociraptors start talking to each other and they have their own language, I'm like, ah, shit, he knows this. Uh, <laughs> we're talking to each other. They told each other about this. So yeah. I, I tend to joke a little bit about that, but that's impressive, man. Well, I, I don't want to just skirt over all of the sort of things, but I do want to bring you to one fight where you might have caught my attention, but maybe in a very different way than I think you expect. So back when you were fighting Nick uh, Battis, he's somebody that I know and I've interviewed before. So, you know, I always do this where people who've been on our show, I go to see how they they fight and I go to see how things go. So you had crossed my radar maybe a little bit before then, but I definitely saw you beat up my friend. And I just looked down and I went to go look that day because I didn't see it live. And I go, how'd Nick do? Oh, okay, not great. All right, well... Good for Nick. I'll talk to him later. But uh, at that point, I watched that fight, and I was impressed then. So uh, I was very, very happy to see just recently, within the past month, I was watching those LFA fights. Tell me how that fight came together, man. Um, The fight was supposed to happen, I think it was um, July 10th at uh, 55, right after quarantine. I I had already like a year off of fighting because of uh, COVID and fights that fell through. And uh, once again, we're there, it's time to fight. And one of my coaches uh, is positive for COVID. So we had to drive home for 21 hours from South Dakota to Vegas. And uh, at least they had good company. Um, yeah, then we did it uh, last month. You know, uh, Ben is a veteran. He had like over 25 fights. For me, I have a total of nine fights, including amateur fights. He's got kickboxing, Muay Thai, 16 amateurs in MMA, um, and eight pro fights, which is twice as much as I do. And he had like a four-fight winning streak in pro like I did. Mm-hmm. So I think it was very evenly matched up style-wise, and he had the experience advantage. Um, I'm very happy with it. I think um, all my hard work paid off in the wrestling and jiu-jitsu department. Do feel like I could have maybe finished the fight, but I was so focused on my wrestling and staying on top, uh, especially after I got caught and dropped like three, four times in the second round. Uh, striking is great, but I always think that striking there's always like a and some odds that you're gonna get caught with something stupid. When you're on the ground to get caught, you gotta do like two, three, four mistakes. Uh, without fixing any of them. So it's really more like people say, like a chess game. It's not one strike and you're out, uh, which almost happened to me. But uh, in the chess game, I think I was a little better. That's why I got the W. Well, part of why I was so excited to get to to chat with you, our, our path just caught, came across a little randomly. But for me, I was watching that fight and I had you on a radar of, oh, I would like to talk to that guy because that was an epic fight. And uh, kudos to you for finding that resolve to come back and, and fight your way through. Thank you. How did you do that? Because I don't think a lot of people ever get put 
in that scenario in their lives. What keeps you grounded in a very, very high stakes moment like that? Um, you know, I want to tell you it was uh, uh, like a, another Rocky movie. And I was, you know, get up on your feet. No, I can't. I have to. It wasn't. It was just like, get on your feet, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I thought I was actually having a blast, you know, I thought uh, I was like, oh, fight opened up, like, uh, fight's on. And um, at some point I'm on the ground, I think I had like both his legs and there was like a drop of blood right under my uh, face. And I looked at it and I'm like, I think the fight is on, but it's one-sided. I think I'm getting my ass kicked. Like, that's my blood. I'm pretty sure that's my blood. And I'm like, okay, get up. And, and take him down. And that's what I did. Man, it's just a very different kind of Rocky. You know, it's the Rocky that's very real with himself. It's just like, hey, listen, dude, no epic speech. Just get the fuck up. We don't got time to waste right exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. It's not always like the movies, but yeah. I will say to those of us who are watching it, it does have a very movie-esque feel because even if you don't, root for a fighter or you know a lot of times i try to watch the fights objectively but mm -hmm. when i do see somebody under duress there is a part of us who does root for the underdog of like hey man i hope this guy's okay and if he's okay i hope he makes a good comeback like you find yourself rooting for them and i just immediately remembered when i was watching that fight just relaxed and and cathartically i was like all right, let's see him get back in here. And and not only did you get back in there, but I mean, you you did an excellent job, man. So I, I wanted to make sure we complimented that and uh, mark that occasion because a lot of people may not have been able to do that. But hey, dude, if you like Rocky so much, you kind of got your own version of it a little bit. Yeah, you know, um, like there's a fireman saying like, uh, everybody thinks they're gonna go into the burning building until it's right in front of them. And uh, I'm happy I withstood this test, you know, getting flash knocked out. It's not the worst thing that can happen to you in a fight because you kind of have no control about it. You just wake up at some point like, oh, what happened? But I think uh, being in deep shit, deep shit and uh, having the option to do something about it, and it's not a, an easy option, uh, that's a big test. And I'm happy I, you know, I. I'm happy I've went through it. I'm happy I passed it. I always knew I have a heart and and like a, you know desire to win, but at no point in this fight did I ever think like, oh maybe I'm gonna lose, or maybe I should give up, or turn into a ball and just let it end. Like for me, it was pretty clear that like okay, I'm in deep shit. Let's get out of it and get that win. That's pretty dope. Did you guys do anything to commemorate the win? Because I know everything with COVID is kind of wacky. And, you know, normally on a night like this, you get to do something fun with your team. You know, it's not, uh, we didn't come out uh, with it all in trash because you can only have one corner. But uh, me and my coach had some pizza that night because um, everything else was closed <laughs> when we got to the hotel room. And I went back home, uh, had dinner with my wife, Dana, at a restaurant we like. And that's it, really. I've been, um, I'm always, you know, I want to get back on the mat the Monday after the fight, but because I got probably concussed, I took some time off. But uh, that's it. Now I'm back a couple more weeks before I'm back in sparring. But this is like, uh, this is my natural habitat in the, in the gym, on the mats, learning, training and doing what I can to get better. So I just assume a lot of grapplers at heart have a feeling like I do, which is when I'm not training, I'm grumpy. So I gotta find something else to do. So what is that something else you're doing as a professional fighter who has way more interest than I would? Uh, how do you do something different other than fighting when you kind of are forced to? Um, at first it's hard. You know, playing video games, watching TV, like it'll drive me crazy. But the problem is you can get used to it. So I don't want to do it too much. So I guess this is maybe a good time to ask. Did you take the time to maybe watch Cobra Kai? 
Not yet. Everybody's been talking to me about it for the last two days. Bro, this is made right for you. Like, you were a guy who's saying you grew up on these films. I guarantee you watch about five minutes of that and you're going to be like, oh, I'm in. I got my wife in and she never even watched The Karate Kid. And after we figured I wasn't going to divorce her for saying that, we watched that series. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. I'll watch, the, I'll watch an episode tonight for sure. Because I feel like you, you've earned a little bit of time. I don't find you to be a lazy type, but I know there's an inherent worry that you'll become too accustomed to it. But, you know, what else are you supposed to do? Things are weird right now as is. So uh, you mentioned having a fight fall through during COVID. What was training or having training camps during COVID like? Was it more difficult? Did you have to find creative ways to do different things and maybe supplement different things? You know, the biggest thing was uh, after the fight got canceled, it was like everything was open. And then in like a week, everything started shutting down in the gyms and fight got canceled. So I was kind of seeing it coming. But um, the biggest thing was after that when the gym was closed and uh, we kind of had to train ourselves. At first, you know, I uh, started jumping rope in my uh, backyard. Okay, that gets boring. Did show some shadow boxing. That gets boring. Uh, did some uh, karate, the katas and everything. All right, but like one, two, three days, four days, and I was, I needed to find something else. So a friend told me, let's meet every day at the park. We kind of made a pact, me and the, it ended up being a few friends. We only leave the house to train with each other and we go back home. If one of us has it, we all have it, but we don't give it to other people. And if no one has it, then no one has it and we stay clear. And um, we would just train at the park every day for four, five hours, six hours. I would run like uh, kicking drills, striking drills. Then another friend would run uh, conditioning. Another friend of mine was a world champion uh, wrestler, would run like wrestling drills. And everybody would just put in like their knowledge and we would teach each other and no ego. And actually, I think it's one of the most beneficial times, periods of training I had in my life. I have to commend you guys for finding a very positive way to get around a very negative situation because mm -hmm. that sounds really good that you guys could lean on each other's backgrounds and experiences as martial artists to create the complete fighter you need to be. Because one of the hardest things to explain to people is, is sure, you're not gonna have your gyms open, but that doesn't mean they're gonna stop looking for fights. If anything, the fighting industry has been going on. And when yeah. you get the call, you get the call. Mm -hmm. Gotta stay ready. So um, I'm super stoked to hear that. I do have one qualm that I need to see if I can go ahead and fix this up real quick. So just, again, judging by your experience of getting some submissions and some of these big fights, I would assume that you are ranked as an upper belt. Are you currently a blue belt? Yes. Okay. How has this stayed as just being a blue belt? How long have you been a blue belt for? Four years. Four years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It depends on the program, honestly. Sometimes uh, yeah. some guys can be a little stingy. So let me get this straight. You got the Shapiro brothers now uh, kind of running your, your courses over that way, right? Yeah. So after I got my uh, blue belt from uh, Fritzen, I uh, had to make some changes. So I was at uh, 10 Planet for like a year. Um, what really happened, I was training in Israel for a while. And then when I came back to the U.S., I went to 10 Planet. Um, I was still going to visit Israel every once in a while and train with my teacher over there. His name is uh, Roy Pariente. He's like one of the OGs of Jiu-Jitsu and MMA in Israel. And really, I feel like I did the most of my learning as a blue belt with him. Um, a year and a half ago, he told me he'd want to give me my purple belt. But uh, after like a few more tournaments, next time I'm in Israel. 
And, you know, I told him, you're the teacher, whatever you say, whenever you say. And I haven't been in Israel in like uh, one year and eight months, something like that. Um, I'm really, in, I'm not in a rush, but uh, Israel used to be my home and I'd come here to train. Now this is my home and I go to Israel just to visit and with COVID and everything, it wasn't possible. I trained with uh, Robert Drysdale for a little while, but now that my friends, uh, Jerry and Shane Shapiro are training at Syndicate or teaching, that's my home, like that's where I train. And uh, when they see fit, you know, I really want, I want to learn their style more than like, oh, get a belt. I want to learn their system, be a student of theirs and not just bring like other knowledge and to their map. I know that feeling. I've, uh, you know, they've been long friends of mine uh, for years. And every time I go to Vegas, I try to stop in and get some training with them. Uh, you know, I mean, Jerry's just, he's great, dude. He's like a monkey just climbing on you all the time. I just almost want to toss off straight into like the window and just be like, get off me, dude. <laughs> but one of the things that I've always kidded around with them is, is that whenever I roll with them, they're problematic in two different ways. But when I'm rolling with the guys they teach, it's like rolling with their mini minions where everything they do just becomes a lot more like, ah, this is the purple belt version of them. This is terrible. Yeah. I don't like any part of this. So uh, the biggest compliment I tell them is I'm like, yo, they're uh, problems for me. And they're just like, man, that's great to hear. And I go, no, it sucks. Stop making them so good. I'm going to have to rethink my own purple belt here and probably start demoting myself if they get any better. Uh, but they've always been so welcoming to me. I would just say this. The Shapiro bros. Listen, guys, come on. This kid. Come on. Can we do a purple belt here? Because I just I feel bad being a purple belt, talking to a blue belt who has a lot more submission wins than I'll probably ever have in my life. Also, good guy. Seems to exude the virtues of being a purple belt. <laughs> and if it's not something that you want to give him, I'm not going to threaten you other than just saying a lot of shitty jokes in your favor. So I'm just going to make fun of them. That's what I do. That's that's my superpower. Uh, I'll tell you what's great about the Shapiro brothers, not to kiss their ass or anything. <laughs> I roll with plenty of really good, good guys in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I always feel like my power, my athleticism plays a role, like even against very high level uh, you know, black belts or brown belts, which are way better than me, like no no discussion. I could get out of some submissions, you know, I could give a good fight, I could like escape some positions. Even if I'm gonna end up tapping, like I can postpone it. But uh, with them, I just, I can get them off me. They're five steps ahead all the time. Every defense I do, they made me do, and they capitalize on it. And uh, they really make me like uh, aspire to be good at jujitsu and really play the chess game, really think ahead of time. Because I could tell that no matter what I'm going to do, the end is uh, imminent. I don't do this for a lot of people, but I every once in a while when I roll with them, I will, you know, you, you, you play a little bit of the poker game where you don't give away your hand kind of a thing. When I do roll with them on occasion, you'll definitely hear me go, ugh. <laughs> So bad. Shut up, Shane. I did not want you to pass guard because now you're like a brick on top of me and I cannot move you off. And they're both uh, very, very, very good at two different styles that have a lot of uh, overlap, but they're, they're just two different versions of beating the fuck out of you. So yeah, uh, yeah no, I, I totally understand that. I would say this I though. I think their style is perfect for MMA. I agree. And I would go a step further here and to say, uh, I think given your body type, your background in martial arts, I think it'll have a long-term success. And I might even make the case, I know I just told them to give you a purple belt, but they won't listen to me because I'm just a host. But think about it like this. There is kind of a benefit in having a little secret superpower. One of the things I do like about being a host is nobody ever expects anything of me. So if you just stay at a blue belt for a little while, yeah, sure, they can go look at your clips. But... It does manage a little bit of that expectation games, which, uh, you know, can be very, very beneficial here and there. Yeah, you know, I actually kind of like being a blue belt. 
First of all, I wear the white gi, the blue belt, it's like these red colors. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I was a white belt, I wear a blue gi. I don't know if that's allowed, but uh, I do it sometimes. Uh, also, when I uh, demonstrate something in karate, it's got to be perfect. I'm always going to beat myself up about it. Why is your flexibility so horrible? Why didn't you, why did you drop your hand? Why did I, when I do something in jiu-jitsu, I'm like, just say thank you that I did it. Like I'm just a blue belt. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the expectation games are great. And I got to tell you, man, as a host, when I go roll with people, you know, I, I just tell people, I'm like, I'm, I'm not good. So that, that by the time I do show up and I am rolling with somebody, they're like, oh my God, you know something. And I go, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I didn't just get a purple belt out of nowhere. Like I am functionally okay. I just always interview people that are world-class athletes. So I don't feel like I can carry the same conversation of saying like, yeah, I remember the one time I tapped out this one guy, uh, guillotine, same thing. I mean, I, I put him to sleep too. We've all done that. You know, like it's not the same. So I always like to kid about that. I did find one thing that I did want to ask you about, which was that, did you recently turn down an opportunity to fight with Bellator? And if so, why? Um, yeah, I did. Um, I don't like this organization. Like uh, the way it's run in, uh, in Israel, I don't like it. I don't want to be part of it. Mm. I don't want my name to be uh, written alongside some other names. Just my integrity, you know, I think uh, you're... Uh, your integrity, like you always got to sharpen it and never get uh, pulled into doing something because it has some benefits. You have to be like real with yourself and real with your surrounding. And if I don't like the way people are doing things, I'm just not going to take part. Even if it means less fights, less money, whatever it means, I'll take it. Understandable. Well, I mean, obviously you're putting in good work here and LFA is very famous for getting people to that next stage. Mm -hmm. So obviously that is an interesting element for you to be looking at for a potential maybe UFC run. I'm sure that is in the cards, but first and foremost, it is going to be, you know, obviously getting you back to training. Are you looking to try and fight again this year or what does that timetable look yeah, like? This year for sure. Okay. Um, I would love to fight this year. I would have loved to fight this weekend, but really without sparring and the rest I had to take, I couldn't. Because um, I was, I wanted to take like a short notice fight. But, um, you know, a few more weeks, a month or two, and I'll be back there. Well, that sounds great, man. I mean, obviously, you have a very promising career, no matter what the delay is going to be. I just know that I would rather you take a little bit more time right now, get everything all worked up and nice. And then you can make your way on to, to doing those next things. But it already as is, dude, you, you put in a pretty impressive uh, uh, statement on the 2020 calendar. So it's only just a matter of time until I guess we see you next. Um, what I'm going to do right now, man, I want to give you the opportunity to shout out any, you know, training partners, coaches, sponsors, anybody you want to go ahead and give a shout out to. I'm going to put the camera straight on you and the floor is yours, sir. Uh, putting me on the spot. Uh, you know... Again, I want to thank my coaches, uh, Jerry and Shane Shapiro, uh, John Wood at Syndicate MMA. And um, that's it. If people want to follow me on Instagram, N-A-T-A-N underscore L-E-V-Y, uh, Nathan Levy. And uh, if anybody got some uh, grappling matches for me, I'm down. So wait, hold up. What kind of grappling matches are we talking here? Are you looking at like Submission Underground? Are you looking at super fights on cards for, say, like, you know, your fight to wins or all these other organizations anything i'm down oh damn son right. maybe maybe they'll give me a purple belt <laughs> <laughs> i like the idea that now you're just like motherfuckers i will go out and i will choke someone <laughs> to get this purple belt now exactly what stuff do you want me to do in my mma fight that's it i'll do it to get it <laughs> You know what, man? I love that attitude. And I love that sometimes when there is a little bit of a downtime, I do my best to always encourage people to get on uh, grappling cards because we always love to see it. And I think it's uh, one of the best ways to keep people active when mm -hmm. uh, the fight game can only realistically happen 
in a good way, usually about three times a year. So yeah, that other time you want to keep everybody healthy, but also active still at that point. Well, I think uh, people would be dumb not to, to take you up on that. So uh, Natan, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to close this up. I'm going to say uh, bye to you off air if you don't mind, but I want to mm-hmm. thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure getting to chat with you. I'm so glad that you like happened to message me with something because I looked at that and I go, well, this interview fell into my lap. Because I just go, oh, that's way easier because I'm so used to running into people organically when I cover events. Mm-hmm. And as a result of COVID, I'm not covering an event. So I've, I'm normally reaching out to people. And after your fight, I was like, I would like to interview him. Let's see what happens. And then all of a sudden, you just kind of like cross wires. And I go, oh, yeah, hey, let's do an interview because I definitely have questions for you. That's awesome. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. I'll see you off air in just a second. But to you guys, I'm going to tell you this. Tomorrow, we're going to be right back here with a fight companion. Do not go anywhere. We have a lot more stuff. If you haven't listened to the latest Verbal Tap, go listen to it right now. We recap all things last week, but we'll take care of all next week's stuff with the very special guest we just booked today. Next week, we will have Ben Folks. Yes, that's right. Co-main event and journalist of MMA extraordinaire, Ben Folks. Be a long time coming. He's been ducking us for a long time. So I can yell at him for a lot of stuff on the air. So I'm very excited about that one. That takes place next week. But again, tomorrow we resume with a fight companion for the UFC event. Go enjoy Bellator tonight or don't. I don't really care what you guys do. There's some fights going on there. And uh, I think that's going to do it for us here. My name is Rafa Sparza. It's been a great day for grappling. We'll see you back on the mats. Eventually. <laughs>